and his name is Jesus. I heard that amen. Thank you, Gordy. Yeah, that deserves an amen from all of us, doesn't it? He is the King of Kings, and his name is Jesus. Let's bow together and pray. Lord God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you, O Father, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, broken and fractured, yes, indeed, this earth that riddled by sin, corruption, and yet you sent him, your son, the perfect lamb, to be slain for our sin, to die in our place so that we could be brought to you, brought back to you, into relationship with you, the God who created this earth and has a plan for this earth. Lord God, we pray that we live according to your plan, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven through our lives this day until your kingdom comes. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. I'm sure all the little children in here, of course, we have the first through third graders in the auditorium here today as well. I see some up there. My son is probably up in the balcony right now. Yes. And all of them, including some of us, maybe some of us adults, are filled with anticipation on Christmas Eve. Now, as you get older, sometimes that fades, doesn't it? Some of you may have a hard time even remembering what that felt like. But can you think back to when you were maybe seven or eight or nine years old on Christmas Eve? You remember what that, feel, what that felt like? And you just, you can't go to sleep. You have, well, kids don't know what sugar plums are anymore, but as the, as the poem goes, sugar plums dancing in their head. No, it's toys galore dancing in their heads. And, and all that anticipation, waiting, what's going to be under the tree on Christmas morning? What can I unwrap? What's going to be there? Some of us adults maybe have that sense of anticipation now. Remember back to this one, married folks, a month before your wedding. Remember that anticipation? Yeah. Or you, next week you're going to close on a house or buy a new car or something. The anticipation builds. Our son Hudson, well, I was going to say someone in our house, but since he's here, he, he received a chocolate advent calendar from Stephanie and I, a chocolate advent calendar, and... Two weeks before Christmas, behold, this is what it looked like. Ta-da! Yeah, we found him in the closet or in a corner. He had taken the chocolate advent calendar, hiding over here, and ripped open every square. Because it's hard to wait. It's really hard to wait, especially when you're six years old, for little pieces of chocolate that were tucked in behind this little calendar. <laughs> but you and I often... We want to rush ahead. We want to, want to get to that day. We put everything, all our hopes in what's going to happen on that day. For Hudson, it was when he could tear open his advent calendar, eat all the chocolates, or Christmas morning. But then we're left kind of looking like that calendar, though. Some of you post-Christmas, post-holiday season blues are already kind of setting in. Look at your your checking account, and you go, what did I do? Or you've just been eating 
stuff that's just not on your diet, and you know, just things pile up, and you go, all right, when are we, when are we going to get back to normal here? And, and you put all this hope into the holiday season, put everything in a Christmas day, or Christmas Eve, or New Year's Day, and, and God gives us a great joy enjoying this life. He gives us a great joy in enjoying family, and, and fellowship, and good food. There's nothing wrong with that, but the holiday season hopes tend to die out, don't they? I don't even let you down. Maybe some of you are wiped out, burned out already, and it's only a couple days after Christmas. So is there a hope that lasts post-holiday season? Is there a hope that sustains us, that motivates us, that energizes us, that inspires us, that keeps us encouraged? Is there a hope beyond just this holiday season. And yes, there is, because the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who formed all of this into existence by the word of his power, the God who made you has given us a blessed hope, the Bible calls it, blessed hope of his son Jesus Christ appearing. Beyond this life, there is a hope. There's joy in this life. For those who are in Jesus Christ, we have experienced great joy in this life. And yet, God gives us a hope beyond this present world, And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. All throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament, God is reminding his people of this hope that they have, hope that those outside of relationship with him don't have. He's reminding them of this hope that is eternal, that will not fade, that will not perish, that will not be destroyed, and that will sustain you and encourage you and motivate you in this present life. You see, this hope isn't just a hope like, I hope so. It's a certainty of hope, an assurance of hope that God gives his people. And so all throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, on almost every page of Scripture, there's this song ringing of hope to God's people. Israel, his chosen nation, which God still has a future plan for national Israel, we believe, but also to us in the church age, God's people grafted in by grace, us the Gentiles, grafted in by grace into the family. God has given us a hope, and it rings like a song throughout the Bible. And this morning, we're going to look at just three sections in the Bible that point out post-holiday season hope that lasts that really lasts, that will motivate you to keep going, to persevere through persecution or temptation or discouragement or just maybe just some some holiday season blues or maybe working with your children. What do you have focused in your mind? So turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, for post-holiday season hope that lasts this Christmas. Daniel, Zechariah, and the book of the Revelation we're going to look at this morning. We could go almost anywhere in the Bible to talk about this hope, but we're going to start in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, Ezekiel, Daniel. Notice, though, that the the timing of the placement for the prophets, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and and, uh, Micah, we've looked at Habakkuk earlier this year, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Haggai, they're, they're not necessarily in chronological sequence in your Bible. Daniel, the timing of him receiving these visions from God, these great pictures, these amazing revelations of God's future plan, they came while the people of Israel were in exile. They were not in the land. And so these words are given to Daniel to encourage him and to communicate hope and to give his people 
Israel hope when they were in exile, when they were, and, and also for those after they returned to exile. But the immediate audience, Daniel's receiving these visions from God, and they are the people, God's people are in exile. They're not in their land, they're in a foreign land, and discouragement will set in. And yet for us too, we're, we're in exile. This is not our final home as it is in this present world. And so the purpose for Daniel chapter 7 is ultimately the song of hope that will encourage us beyond the holiday season. Look at verse 9 of Daniel chapter 7. He says, I kept looking until thrones were set up and the ancient of days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow. The hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. And myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat and the books were opened. This is a very, very, very important parallel to many other parts in, in apocalyptic literature. But it's also pointed out in Exodus chapter 32, but we see this in Luke and in Revelation, the book where every thought and every word and every action of every human who has ever lived on the earth is recorded in these books. And the books were opened. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. And as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. Now, we're not going to get into specific timing of end time events this morning, just the overarching, the overarching message of Christ's return. But I want you to see this timeline here. To the left, to, to, to your left, you see that God's covenant with Abraham. That's what theologians might call the Abrahamic covenant. And God's covenant with Moses and the people, the Mosaic covenant. And then, after 400 years of silence, the birth of Jesus. A lot, of course, happened before that that's not on this timeline, you see. And then... Christ dies on the cross. You see the cross there. Establishes the new covenant in my blood, which is given for you for remission of sins. That through the sacrifice of the lamb, our sins are forgiven. He ascends into heaven. But then we also see, according to scripture, that there is a a rapture that will take place. God will rapture his church, us. We will be taken out before a seven-year literal tribulation period. And during that seven-year tribulation, that is... Cross scripture known as the day of the Lord. It's the day of the Lord of judgment for those unrighteous. It's also the day of the Lord in blessing at the end of it because Christ returns. You see, for the righteous, the day of the Lord is is when we are looking on at what God will do to all the unrighteous, we see that all of the unrighteous, all the the injustices will be done away with because God will vanquish his foes and Christ returns and then the millennial kingdom, 1,000 years, and then that ushers into the new heaven, the new earth, the eternal kingdom forever and ever and ever. So now that you've seen this timeline, look back at Daniel chapter seven and and all of those things are kind of, are, are tightly put together here. If we went to First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, and the book of the Revelation, we'd see a lot more details. But this is an overarching vision. So God, 
here is pictured as judging his foes, doing away with the fourth kingdom, and that's in the tribulation period. And then I kept looking, look at verse 13, kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. Jesus uses this title for himself in the Gospels. Jesus is the Son of Man, and it says, And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. This is speaking of the coming kingdom of our God and of his Christ. When Jesus Christ returns and he establishes his kingdom on earth, the renewed earth, and he doesn't make all new things, he makes all things new. And this millennial kingdom, 1,000 years then, notice back at verse 12 where it says, and an extension of life was granted to them, the rest of the beast, to an appointed period of time. That comes after the 1,000 years But then when they're finally done away with the eternal state, his kingdom endures forever and ever and ever. And so point number one is this. One day, Christ one day will rule over all peoples. Christ will one day rule over all peoples, not just some, but all, from every language and nation. All peoples will serve him. Every knee will bow, and it will not end. And right now, when we, when we look around, it can be kind of discouraging because we see what's going on in the world. And just like Daniel, in exile, God's people being pulled away by these false gods. And we see, we see the temptation, we see the persecution, we see the rejection. You see that maybe in your own family, you turn on the news You hear what's going on in the world, and yet we know, here's hope that lasts beyond the holiday season, that this baby who was born in a major also will come again as king, and he will one day rule over all peoples, all nations. Now turn to Zechariah, Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 3. Now the timing of this one, Zechariah is writing to the people who have returned, that remnant who came out of exile, and they're back in the land. They have returned to the land, but they need to return to God. Their hearts need to return to God, even though they've returned to the land. And don't miss this. We are to return to the king because the king is returning. Zechariah, look at chapter 1. Verse 3, therefore, says, uh, therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me. Some of you I hear are still flipping pages. So I'll give you a little time here. Haggai, Zechariah, towards the end of the Old Testament. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets proclaimed, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. Return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not listen or give heed to me, declares the Lord. You see, looking back over what the people of Israel did, how they responded to God, they rejected his way and they faced judgment. God sent them into exile and only the remnant returned to the land. But don't live like them, people. Don't. You, don't live like those. Don't live like those. Instead, return 
Return, return your heart to the Lord, to his way. Now turn over to chapter three. We're going to see this, another picture of this coming one who's Jesus Christ. Look in chapter three, look at verse three of chapter three. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. Now Joshua is not the Joshua of the time period when Moses was leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. This is Joshua who is the high priest during this time when the people of Israel return, or the believing remnant returned to the land. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. He spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, remove the filthy garments from him. Again, he said to him, see, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. Then I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you walk in my ways and if you will perform my service, Then you will also govern my house and also have charge over my courts and I will grant you free access among these who are standing here. Now some of you are going, oh, what is going on? Zechariah is known as the most difficult book in all the Bible to interpret, especially chapters 10 and 11. He's these really interesting and unusual images and visions. What's going on here? But here it explains for us. Look at verse 8. Now listen, Joshua the high priest, who they put this clean turban on and these festal robes, not filthy garments anymore. Joshua was the high priest. Remember that. You and your friends who are sitting in front of you, indeed they are men who are a symbol. This is a symbol. This is symbolic of who? For behold, I am going to bring in my servant, the branch. The branch. It's from Jeremiah. Later on in Zechariah, it turns up again. This is the coming one who will grow out from the, the lonely stump, the root of Jesse, this, of the line of David. His name is Jesus. And this one will not be like Joshua. This one will be the perfect priest who will be completely pure, You see, this is symbolic of the one who would come. I'm going to bring in my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua on one stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave an inscription on it, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of that land in, say it with me, in one day. In one day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his fig tree. Now remember this, put your, put your thumb in chapter 3 there because we're going to move to chapter 6. But that day is the day that will change everything. When Jesus Christ, the perfect priest, comes and makes all things new and brings peace. That's why it says in that day, every one of you will invite his neighbor to send her his vine under his fig tree. There will be peace. This is a picture of peace, of tranquility, of rest, of fellowship, of community. It's people under the blessing of God's covenant and of his abundant grace. Now turn over to chapter 6. Look at verse 11. Here's another symbol, and he's using Joshua the high priest now as a symbol again of the branch, of the branch. Verse 11 of chapter 6. 
This is like Bible drill a little bit. Take silver and gold. Make an ornate crown. Now, this would be unusual. Priests wouldn't wear a crown like that. And set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Then say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, a man whose name is Branch, that one who would be the perfect priest now, for he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord and who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus he will be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will be between the two offices. So this person, this one, the branch, who we see as Jesus, is not only going to be the perfect priest of the order of Melchizedek, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, to the writer of Hebrews tells us, but also the priest king. The priest king who will sit on his throne, his throne, and will rule with perfect justice, equity, righteousness. And so, post-holiday season, hope is one day, Christ one day will rule over all peoples, as Daniel 7 tells us. But one day, Christ will rule, and he will rule supreme as the priest king. As the priest king. Also as prophet priest, king. Jesus came to communicate, to reveal what was on the Father's heart for all humanity. So the Gospel of John begins, and the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. He came to communicate to us all God's grace and truth through his words and his works. And so Jesus Christ, the perfect prophet, priest, and king, will one day rule supreme as the prophet, priest, king on the earth. He'll rule over all peoples. Turn over to chapter 14. Chapter 14. We're rehearsing the song, you see. We're rehearsing the song. Look over to chapter 14 and verse 9. This is one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. And the Lord, see when it's small caps there that's standing for Yahweh, the most reverence, revered name of the one true God, and the Lord will be king over all the earth in that day. See the repetition here? And that one day, in that one day, and on that day there will be peace, and you will sit under the fig tree, and on that day, in that day, the Lord will be the only one, and his name the only one. And on that day, every political pundit and person running for president and every professor, every politician will bow before the prophet, priest, and king. On that day, they will bow. And whether they've received Christ as the righteous one or not, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will be a day like no other. That day. Focusing on that day alters the way you and I live and love and obey on this day, today. It could have been Sir Oliver Wendell Holmes. It could have been Charles Wesley or John Wesley. It's been quoted so many times people get confused of who originally said it. But someone said, probably Sir Oliver Wendell Holmes, that... Man can be so heavenly-minded that he's of no earthly good. And I think he was flat wrong. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, 
Verse two, set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth, for you have died and your life is hid with Christ in God. I want you to hear this quote from C.S. Lewis, who I think got it right in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next opposite of that, you can be so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. See, focusing on that day dramatically alters the way we think and live and obey today in every way, in every way. And so Zechariah receives this message from God to those who had returned to the land, but they needed to return to God. They needed to return in their hearts to God. And the way that you and I are motivated to return in our hearts to God is to remember that the king is returning. He's returning. And so we want to return to him. We want to follow in his way, make his way known, because we know that this life is not all that there is. There's a life to come. And the next life is really the one that will never end. So from Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, and the Lord will be king over all the earth in that day. The Lord will be the only one, his name the only one. Now turn to the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the most accurate title for the book of the Revelation. That's the way it begins, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That means the revealing, the display, full manifestation, the making known of Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. Now turn to chapter 5. Turn to chapter 5, and we see this, this glimpse that's then going to be fully exposed for us at the end of the book. Verse 6 of chapter 5. And I saw between the throne with four living creatures and the elders a, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Sounds familiar from Zechariah chapter 6, or chapter 3, excuse me. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are prayers of all the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you are slain and purchased for God with your blood, uh, purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. There is a day when he, Jesus the Christ, will one day rule over all the earth, the renewed earth, without end. He will rule over all peoples. He will rule supreme as the priest king and he will rule over the renewed earth without end. And here's the amazing, amazing, extraordinary thought. We rule with him. 
We reign with him because we're in Christ. We've received the inheritance that's with all the saints in light. It's not on the basis of what you and I do, on the basis of our works. It's on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done through his death and resurrection. By God's shocking grace, we've been brought into relationship in Christ, in Christ, and we reign with him. We reign with him. Now turn to chapter 22. Chapter 22. The book of the Revelation. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. (laughs) In the middle of its street, on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. Do you see the same idea repeated there? And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. There will be a river. They will know her name. There will be a tree. There will be no need for the sun, for the lamb. The Lord shall be the light. That's the coming kingdom. When we focus on the coming kingdom, it changes how we live right now. We won't live for our agenda or make our agenda king. We're living for the king's agenda and making his agenda king. So the book of the Revelation given to the apostle John on the island of Patmos, he was destined to to die there this life and there in exile. But these are words of hope, words of encouragement to him and to us. Listen, people of God. God is saying, return to the king, for the king is returning. But I often think, what does, what would returning, which is another word for revival, it means to turn from your way, turn from sin, and turn to God in his way, recognizing that in him alone is life and light and true joy and peace. What does that look like for us? What would revival look like for North Park Baptist Church? To focus on that day, how we live and love and obey today. What would that look like? Maybe it would change the way you spend your time. What you're viewing late at night. How you spend your resources, your energy, You only have so much energy in a given day. How you spend that resource, how you spend your money, it's really God's money if you're in God's family. Does that reflect that you're following God's agenda, the agenda of his coming kingdom, that his will would be displayed on earth as it is in heaven, or really maybe you're building your own kingdom here on earth? What satisfies the longings of your soul really nothing that you can buy here on earth. Just like C.S. Lewis said, it's those who have so focused on heaven 
who are the most effective here on earth. I worked for this guy, Norm Miller. He's the uh, owner of Interstate Batteries Corporation. And first met him, I was walking down to the loading dock in the back of the corporate offices with a bunch of boxes. I worked in the mailroom there when I was in seminary. And it was at the end of the day, it was after 5 o'clock, and I was carrying all these boxes down to throw in the dumpster. And there are a series of doors that we had to go through, and I'm pushing my way through these doors, and I finally get to the last one, and the door is open. You're like, oh, wow, somebody must have propped it open. And around the corner, here's Norm Miller holding the door open for me, a little pipsqueak in the mailroom. Norm Miller is an extremely wealthy man. In fact, though, if you want to think about it, all of us middle-class Americans or even lower-class Americans are more wealthy than 90% of the world. But Norm, Will- Norm Miller is an extremely, extremely wealthy man, and yet every part of his company, he owns multiple companies, Interstate Batteries being the largest one, though, he has a chaplain in his, in his office, in his company, an assistant chaplain, and their job is to give away half of what he makes every single year to the tune of five, six million dollars every single year, they're just giving away Norm's money to missions agencies, to churches, to seminaries, to Bible colleges, giving away his money because he has his mindset on heaven, not on earth. And he's found what your joy is all about. Extremely humble man. This, he's just one example, and I'm going to share a little bit more about him when we embark into a new series in January on Faith at Work, Monday through Friday theology, how the gospel changes the way we work all week long. But you see, when you are focused on, on that day, it alters, it changes how you live and you love and you obey today. If I'm focused on what the world's selling here, I need, I need that car, I need that house, I need, I need, I need these possessions, I I need that vacation. That's going to give me what I'm longing for. Really, in the end, you're going to look like that Advent chocolate calendar, empty, empty, worn out, burned out, wiped out, wondering, losing hope. But from Daniel and Zechariah and Revelation, the people who have a home that's not this present world, we have a hope that lasts. And it's in Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this a few questions here. What would revival look like, though? What would returning to the king look like for North Park? All of, all of us, including me, <laughs> maybe it'd be believing in and radically investing in God's kingdom agenda rather than making our agenda king. Maybe it's would change what some of us may, may be viewing late at night, like I said earlier, or how we spend our free time, or what we're buying to satisfy our soul, or to keep up with the Joneses, because the Joneses are broke anyway. You know. Or what we're talking about during the day. What saturates your conversation? Is it God's agenda, or is it yours, or is it something else? Think about that. Let God probe your heart right now. What is really saturating your conversation, what you're talking about at work, what you're talking about with your family, what you're talking about in your neighborhood? What do you most enjoy talking about? It's not wrong to enjoy talking about sports or talking about recreation, and yet 
We know even those simple enjoyments are just a foretaste of the coming kingdom where we'll have truest joy full along the river. Or maybe it would change what we give to our neighbors or how we talk to our neighbors or how we talk about worship and church and the family of God or the mission of God. We can so easily lose sight, though. So some of you younger younger ones around here, like my daughter and my son, like watching Cinderella. So I have a picture here to remind you of. This is the classic Cinderella. They came up, they've come out with a new movie, you know. My kids enjoyed that one too, but when you, when you watch that movie with a little child like Everlyn, my daughter, and she sees how Cinderella's being mistreated, She's being, she's, she's thrown in this, in this room and she's, she's mopping the floors every day and ridiculed and criticized by her stepsisters and, and you want to say, you know, it's, it's okay. We know what's coming. The, the fairy godmother's going to come and make everything right, fix you up and you're going to marry Prince Charming. It's all going to be great, you know. But Evelyn, no, she's like this. No, no, I can't do that to Cinderella. No. She, she doesn't remember how it ends. Right? At least she forgets. Or she's just so in the story. You can't do that. And often, when we're in the difficulties of this life, too, we, we forget how the story ends. And, and we focus <laughs> on the trial, or the temptations that all so easily seduce us here in this present life. But at the climax of that movie, the new one, Cinderella remembers, remembers this thing. Take courage. Be brave. All those stories have this, this overarching theme of enslavement, then freedom. Oppression, but anticipation. And that's all pointing to the the one true great story, and the best part of it is this is all true, and what has not yet take, has taken place will take place. So even a story like Cinderella, or the Chronicles of Narnia, or the Lord of the Rings is pointing to drawing from God's story, the great one, the true one. And just like my daughter could forget and think, oh, this is wrong, they can't be doing that. God's message to his people is this. Don't forget, return to the king. Walk in his way because the king is returning. The king is returning. When I was nine years old, I read through C.S. Lewis. This is C.S. Lewis Day, I guess, for me. C.S. Lewis's book uh, series, The Chronicles of Narnia. At the last page of The Last Battle, Listen to these words. I want you to close your eyes now. Because C.S. Lewis had converted from atheism to Christianity. He had come to receive the challenge that his friend J.R. Tolkien had given him. What if all the great stories out there are really pointing to the one true greatest story, God's story, the Bible, and his plan of redemption and of his coming kingdom? And God drew that C.S. Lewis professor in England kicking and screaming into his kingdom on the last page of the book, The Last Battle. Focus on these words now. Try to picture it in your mind. Aslan says, there was a real railway accident. 
Aslan said softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And as for us, this is the end of all the stories And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all the adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. (laughs) Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. (laughs) clearly speaking of the coming kingdom. Handel, in his great, magnificent work, Messiah, he drove home this truth in song because he heard it ringing throughout every page of Scripture. And he shall reign forever and ever. And all flesh will see it together. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And he shall reign forever and ever How does focusing on that day alter how you need to live today and love today and obey the coming king today? How does that change the way you are organizing your agenda for the coming year? It might change the way you spend your time, your energy, your money, the resources God has given you. They're really to be used for a purpose, just like Norm Miller. He's using those for a purpose, for God's mission, God's agenda Ask God to search your heart now and evaluate, what are we doing? Is it lining up with my focus on on the king or developing my own kingdom? There will be a day when there will be no more tears, no more mourning. The curse will be no more. All the former things will have passed away. All things will be made new. Christ will one day rule over all peoples. Christ will one day rule supreme as the priest and king. Every every other king, every president, every politician will one day bow before him. And three, Christ will one day rule over the renewed earth without end. How do you need to return to the king today, the one who's coming again? Let's pray together. But I want you to express in your own words right now, how do you need to return? To repent afresh, a new turning to God, looking at what's coming changes how we live right now. It does, it does. You'll be most effective, most on mission, you're thinking about heaven and bringing God's mission here to earth in his power. Lord God, we confess that there are many, many days, many hours we have spent wasted. We've, we've wasted time. We've wasted energy on things that we thought would satisfy and they didn't and we look like an empty advent calendar burned out. 
Lord God, we confess that there are times when we have, we have lusted, we have spoken in pride, we have been in anger, we have been in frustration because we're not getting what we think we need out of this life and missing the point. Oh God, return our hearts to you. Lord God, we confess that sometimes the way we talk about your people or the way we talk about church is really focused so much just on the present, temporal-minded kind of things rather than the coming kingdom and proclaiming that message to the world. We've held tightly to our desires. Oh, change our desires so that they line up with yours. Cleanse us, O oh God, from selfishness and vainglory and pride. Focus our eyes on that day, the day when all things will be made new and your Son, Jesus Christ, returns and rules over all as the Supreme, our King. Amen.